Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. The international break is here and it's time for a quick breather before the relentless action of the final weeks of the season. You don't need me to reiterate the situation at the top of the table because you've all been nervously checking in on every minute of every match that both Manchester City and Liverpool have been playing, haven't you? No need to lie, it's a safe space here. We've all been doing it. Uh, there's only so long we can put off talking about that week of doom that's coming up as well, but you'll forgive us for kicking that particular can down the road. For now, we'll stick to two topics on this week's show. First, we're going to review the FA Cup game against Southampton and then we're going to do something a little bit different and look at how we as fans can deal with the pressure of this title race. I'm David Booney and I'm joined today by City fans Howard Hocking. Hello. And One Football's Dan Burke. Hello David, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> feeling the pressure, feeling the pressure. That's like We're in, well, end of March and I'm already sweating about this title race. So Hashtag uh, heads gone. Yeah, absolute heads gone here. So uh, I hope you two, I hope you two got your head screwed on because I certainly have <laughs> Yeah. Past experiences go by, and yeah, no, I have not. Now, yeah, excellent, excellent. <laughs> so we can all panic together. Um, let's let's start with that situation, Howard, because uh, it is going to be a tight few weeks. Um, let's start with Southampton. What what did you think of of the performance? And did you did did the performance at Southampton do anything to ease the concerns that you might have about the tightness of this of this title race? No, not really. But then it's uh, it's so hard to define. Really, <laughs> it's like. I didn't enjoy much of the match itself. And then at full time, like, well, we've just won 4 1 at Southampton in the FA Cup, a team we couldn't beat twice in the league, a team that are good and were clearly up for it on the day. That's a brilliant result. Yeah. And, and of course, we made a few changes. Where the teams are, what this means, it's the FA Cup, not the league, and it's kind of different. It doesn't, you know, we've only won the. What the FA Cup wants under Pep, it's like, do you take much? If we played terribly and gone out, would it have really meant anything to the league campaign? Probably not. So I'm as confused as ever, really, about what lies <laughs> ahead, because I think anything could happen for City and Liverpool, and there's lots of twists and turns. And I don't think the result told us that much, but at the end of the day, we put four past Southampton. I'm certainly taking more positives from it than I am negatives. Yeah, it's, it really is an interesting situation, Dan, because, uh, I mean, as Howard said, Southampton were very, very problematic for City in the league. And I felt they were very problematic for City in, in the FA Cup tie, except City went and put four past them. Yeah, I, I think the scoreline flattered us, to be honest. I think it was it was so flattering that I think I actually blushed when Mahrez put that fourth goal in. It was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a weird game, really, that kind of turned on that penalty. Uh, I think were, were it not for that, it might have been a very different story. And, and even at 2-1... It, we weren't looking too convincing. I think that wonder goal from Foden really came at the right time for us, and uh, and then we just we just got the got the fourth and, and saw the game out. Then it was it was weird to see us look a little flustered against their high press, and I, I don't think the the defense was given an awful lot of protection, which was a bit of a worry. It seemed to be a bit too easy for their forwards to find gaps in between the defense that that chance Armstrong had in the first half when they when he hit the post, and that one that Adams had at uh, I think it was two one at the time or maybe one one. They were a bit too close to call for my liking, so. 
it's a little bit worrying, but yeah, you know, we're in the semi-final of the cup. It's a 4-1 win against a team who've taken points off us twice this season. So it's not to be sniffed at really. And I think maybe it's it's good that we we broke that little little mini hoodoo that Southampton yeah. have got over us. And, and yeah, it's just all about results at this stage now, really. The way you said Chance Armstrong then as well made him sound like a wrestler from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> don't, know, yes, don't, yeah. don't know why that came into my head while I, while I was thinking that. Maybe that, that is literally the pressure of the title race that's doing that. That's making me think like that. Um, it was interesting to hear what uh, what Guardiola said after the game about it. Because, I mean, first off, De Bruyne was interviewed uh, on BBC One straight after the game. Uh, and the way the question was put to him, it, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, a, a, a great penalty from you, uh, you know, a, a good performance. You're into the semi-finals, another trip to Wembley. Uh, man of the match for yourself. Um, all good and he kind of batted it away and went well I didn't think we played that well in various parts and he was really brutally honest about it um, and then Guardiola in the press conference uh, said this I think we make a good 25-30 minutes uh, the last 15 minutes for the quality they press and the intensity they do we forgot to play we don't have the courage to ask the ball and and even in tough situations try to don't lose it but even in easy ones we lost it because we were not able to, to have the personality to play the second half was a little bit completely different, except the first minutes, and uh, we played much, much, much better. After it's a tight game, I was in the Premier League games against Southampton for the quality they have. So they're incredible, well organized. They provoke you to play frontal balls, and the frontal balls they are so aggressive, and of course they have a good, a good build up. But after two one, uh, second half was much better. We played more in their own side and. At the end, the quality from Phil and React did the difference. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So, Howard, when, when you hear Guardiola speak like that, it, it kind of, it, it, is it reassuring that he's there to, uh, to, to kind of address the issues that were in that game? Because the players, the, the players, he likes them to accept the pressure. And it kind of felt like they weren't that comfortable accepting it against Southampton. Yes and no, because it's a bit of a lottery with Pep, isn't it? I've heard him like gushing after some of our worst performances, <laughs> and sometimes he's critical after a good performance. You never really, I don't really take much notice of what he says, not because he's an idiot, <laughs> because whatever we're seeing, if we're seeing something and something's not perfect, you know he's seeing it, and he's yeah. probably having a sleepless night about it as well. So it's almost like he's trying to bring it back down to the middle, isn't it? Like, like yeah. bring bring you in when you think you're doing well and, and yeah. push you forward when you think you're doing badly. But I do like to hear him be critical, not call out individuals or anything like that. It just it does reassure me a bit when he just says it out loud, like, no, I didn't think we did this or did that. Because it's interesting, and it, you know, Look, he's he's always thinking about how how everything you know can be better because he wants everything to be perfect. So I don't think if he doesn't say something, I don't think it means he's not thinking about it. But it does reassure me slightly when he says things like that uh, because maybe it suggests he's thinking about it even more than usual. So. Yeah, or he sees a trend or something like that. So and you know he'll be working on it. You know, if he said it, you know he'll be working on putting it right for whatever the next game is. Yeah, I mean, here's a, I'm, I'm going to look at this kind of in an upside-down way, Dan, because uh, maybe the, the pressure that Southampton were putting on City uh, will be good experience for those upcoming Liverpool games because Liverpool will put the sim- will put similar sort of pressure on on City. And, you know, they, they conceded once and it was a defensive error. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as uh, 
as Guardiola said in the in the Amazon documentary a few years ago, you have to play football with courage, don't you? That's uh, that's how City always play, and we're going to come up against teams who, who want to press us high. And I think playing through a, a high press is one of the hardest things to do in football. And, and luckily, we're one of the best teams in the world at doing it, if not the best. So it's it's still going to be challenging. Um, I think the problem in this Southampton game was that we weren't keeping the ball high up the pitch as well as we usually do. We didn't have that level of control over the game that we often do, and there, there were a few too many turnovers, and, and that was putting pressure on the back four. And you think a better team, you know, might have punished us than, than Southampton. But but like Howard said, nobody's going to be more aware of that than Guardiola and his staff. And and maybe it's a good time to have a performance like this now. They can tweak a few things for the games coming up, look at what worked, what didn't work so well and, and prepare in the best way possible for, for this game against Liverpool in a few weeks. Well, here's but here's my kind of uh, writing the upside down thoughts because um, if if that was good experience for playing Liverpool and uh, Southampton basically punished a defensive error, you'd expect Liverpool to punish more defensive errors, wouldn't you? You would, you would, yeah. They're they're a, they're a good side, but I think. Uh... They have just as many reasons to worry about us as we do them. I think it's it's easy to compare everything that we do to Liverpool at the moment. I mean, I'm like everyone. I'm 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 walking around the, the sort of living rent free inside my head at the moment, and and they keep winning, whereas we've dropped points recently, and and we're looking at them, and and they're sort of coming up, breathing down our necks, coming up behind us, and and you think everything, all of our weaknesses are going to be ruthlessly exploited by them when we play them, but they have got weaknesses too. You know, I've watched them recently against uh, against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final, against Arsenal uh, in the league, against Forest in the Cup even at the weekend, and and they they, they gave chances away. They they might have been punished, them, punished for them by better teams as well. Um, I mean, surely they're going to drop points if, if they don't, and they go on and I think it'll be 18 wins in a row uh, if they win every game between now and the end of the season, then... No fair play, they deserve the title. But yeah, I'm, I'm just trying not to be too daunted by the next two months, really. And I keep telling myself that it's kind of good to be nervous and, and just taking one game at a time, really. Is it working? <laughs> not really, not really. But but yeah, I'm, all, I'm just trying to focus on that Burnley game coming up, which I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty nervous about that, if I'm yeah, being honest. It's not going to be fun. It wasn't yeah, fun a few years ago, was it? Yeah. Nah. Um, Howard, just want to have a quick look at the at the setup for City in this game because um, one of the problems that Southampton were causing City in the league games was that Rodri was very isolated. There was no ball into him from uh, the centre backs. Uh, once again, Southampton were cutting off uh, the the kind of space to him, and I'm I'm kind mm. of wondering like Guardiola's kind of setup for it can't simply have been oh just do what you normally do but just do it better, can it? Surely. No, <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a trend recently. Yeah, you cut off Rodri, you've got issues in his side. Uh, my other issue is not that Kevin De Bruyne, Gundogan, Rodri as playing together aren't all, I don't know if you'd say world-class, top-class players, but it's when City don't have the ball, are they mobile enough or dynamic? And I think that it does, it does expose us a bit, having those three against such an energetic side that can find space and a pressing high. So, still I mean, part of me thinks, part of me still thinks it's the FA Cup and he wouldn't have played this side in a league game and it yeah. doesn't really matter. And he had to make some changes. I mean, I'd have been more annoyed as a Southampton fan that changes were made to their front line for this game when they haven't got our April Champions League or a league title to go for. So, managers just like to make changes sometimes and, it's different because you know Edison. If Edison was in the side, then it's, it completely changes the way we play out from the back and how they can press. And Mares and Foden would be there, which changes the link between defence and midfield and the forward line. So 
I wouldn't take too much from it, but it is one issue that sometimes you can play. Liverpool will obviously be energetic and press, and if you play certain players, the transition and when we don't have the ball and the ability that some managers are seeing now to cut off Rodri can be an issue in games. It's an issue Pep's always faced and he always adapts and he'll try something new. But at this stage of the season, you don't want to be trying too many new things out, do you? Yeah, I, I just wondered if if it might be a case of maybe one of, even even if you play in those three and have Rodri Gundo and Ander Bruyne, if one of them has to be alongside Rodri. I know that the, the dreaded yeah. double pivot fa- uh, phrase is, is, is thrown in there with uh, with the kind of Rodri Gundo and thing. But if you put them next to each other, then the, the centre-backs have another pass, don't they? They do, yeah. There was some players dropping back and maybe it increased more as the game went on. By the end, City were flowing forward and looked like they'd score every time they went forward. But that's probably because, you know, uh, Southampton were out of steam and once you get the fourth, obviously the head's dropped after the third goal. I think it is absolutely crucial in the same way the second one was because nothing really was happening at the time. Uh, yeah, there's things like that. I don't. The double pivot's hard to define in a way because players... It's not in a pep team. The the formation changes minute by minute, and it changes <laughs> whether they're in possession or out of it. So it's not really a true double pivot anyway. But I think it does help that you need someone dropping back, and it's better Gundogan than Kevin De Bruyne because I want to see Kevin De Bruyne going forward, yeah, uh, more than anything, not dropping back. So the higher up the pitch, the better in a way. Yeah, I mean, I want to touch on something Howard said there, Dan. Um, in that uh, Guardiola did make changes. It's 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 obvious from here until the end of the season. You know, all the players that we want to play every game can't play every game, can they? You can't have Foden, Mares, Bernardo in every single game. You can't have De Bruyne in every single game. Um, so it's it's kind of a real balancing act at the minute. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen a few people recently talking about Gundogan and saying that they want him to sort of play every game between now and the end of the season because he brings that kind of calming presence to the midfield, which you, which I agree with. But I, I, what does that mean for Bernardo Silva? Does that mean he doesn't play them because we want De Bruyne on the pitch at all times as well? I think we've seen recently that having Gundogan, Bernardo and De Bruyne on the pitch at the same time doesn't really work. It's not really a very well-balanced way to do things. And with the forward line, I think... It's pretty clear at the moment to me anyway that our best front three, our most informed front three is Sterling, Foden and Mares. So that would be the one that I would like to see starting against Burnley. Um, and then we go from there, I guess. And, and we can always bring Grealish and, and Jesus off the bench who, who are both in, in pretty decent form themselves. I think in previous years, we've seen Pep rotate less and less as we approach the, the kind of crunch end of the season. Um, so I could imagine that but that'd be the case that he's kind of working out what his best 11 is. My big worry really going back to to Rodri um i think with the with the midfield we've we've got away with it uh it's always been a problem under pep that the the sort of holding midfielders have been exposed but we've got away with it because the holding midfield has been in incredible form fernandinho was at the peak of his powers a few years ago and, and at the start of the season Rodri was playing amazingly and and doing that job by himself i think Rodri's performances have dipped a little bit in recent weeks which is to be expected because of the incredible workload that he's had yeah. and hopefully he will kind of like get back to that level that he was at uh, at the start of the season, towards the end of the season, but I still worry that we're we're a little bit stretched too thin in certain areas. You know, an injury to Rodri or an injury to Cancelo or Walker, and that could be you know, the death of the season essentially. So I just hope and pray that those three in particular stay fit for the rest of the season because we we do have a lot of squad depth in some areas, but we're quite shallow in others. I think. 
Yeah, I think I mean that that is that is an interesting point. I mean, Howard, um, in terms of depth, we are, like we hear all the time that City have great strength in depth, um, but I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure it's true if 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 there's injuries yeah. there because it suddenly means that players have to start playing consecutive games where they might have had rest. It's a tight squad, uh, and it seems weird. I think Pep had to rotate this side for the FA Cup, and probably would have been quite yeah accepting if it had gone wrong in a way because it is the third part you know it's the third level in our priorities it comes third it's just the way it is the league and the champions league and it it might seem weird to rest players before or rotate before an international break but you've got someone like bernardo silva who i think has been is looking a bit tired as well in recent weeks he might have some huge international games over well he's got one for starters yeah might end up be playing against italy and you know to go to the world cup He's not going to have two weeks off. You know, some of our players have a break, some don't. He had to rotate. But Mar- Mares will be in both of Algeria's games. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a playoff as well, isn't it? Rodri, if he does play, I mean, they've Spain have only got you know, like Albania and Iceland, I think. So very varied schedules for the players. Uh, and it is a, it's a small squad. I mean, as we all know, it's not... It's not a bigger squad. It's not even 25 players. It's And Pep likes to keep it tight. And it, of course, that the age-old problem, we don't have a striker. It means we're having to use a lot of players much of the time. So there's, there are areas, as Dan says, that you lose one player in a, a few positions, then suddenly it, you know, you're, you're really exposed. But yeah. There's under two months of the season to go, so you're just hoping that there's you know uh, not too many injuries in that period. But yeah. it will be stretched the squad definitely because once you scrape, we yeah, seventeen players or so are absolutely top class. But once you scrape below that, then it depends in this crucial part of the season how much is Pep willing to use youth players or you know other players like that. I don't. I think he's he trusts quite a select number of players right now yeah and he'll put them through he'll keep playing them when he when he can and that's the that that, that kind of could all add up to to problems later down yeah. the line with tiredness can't it that's the that's well yeah the there's big... even like a senior player like jesus who i'm not sure he trusts totally at the moment to play in a big game so yeah. just makes his options even thinner at the moment i think if you own a vehicle with less than two hundred thousand miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all listen up CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Dan, just touching on the Edison point, I just want to have a quick chat about uh, Zach Steffen and the defence from from weekend because uh, I I thought Steffen made a few good saves, um, but... uh, I think the issue, I think as you touched upon, was he looked a bit nervous with his footwork and off his line, didn't he? Yeah, 
Which is to be expected, I think, because he tends to play about one game a month, doesn't he? So it's you're bound to be a little bit rusty or just not quite in the groove. I think he's a very able deputy and and has been the whole time he's been here. Um, I don't think he's he's really put too many too many feet wrong. That's not. I think, is it? But I've, I've just said it. Uh, so I, it, it was a pretty rare mistake for him, really, for for the goal. Um, I probably wouldn't play him again this season. I wouldn't play him in the FA Cup uh, again just because I don't think we could afford even minor risks. If we do want to go for the treble, which we should do, then I would I would play our best team uh, in, in all the you know, all the games left, all, all the available games left, and that includes Edison. But I, I, I'm willing to give Stefan a bit of a pass for that goal because I think yeah. he's, uh, he's, been, he's been pretty good for the most part. Yeah, does I mean, does the goalkeeper need a rest? That's the other question. I mean, like as much as um, Edison is not a normal goalkeeper, Howard, uh, do you need to take him out of the squad every now and then and uh, and let him have the time away? Because like even just being on the pitch, even if you're not doing anything or even if you're just passing it about a bit, you're still in the game. You're still mentally there, aren't you? Mm. Well, I mean, Stefan's not in to give Edison a rest. I think he's in because, as we've seen down the last decade, there's an obligation to give you second keeper the cup games in domestic cups. For that reason, I think Stefan plays in the semi-final as well, which is not something I necessarily agree with, but it could easily happen. I mean, Edison's got gastroenteritis as well now, so mm. hopefully he's available for Burnley next week. But, you know, that could be anything. It could be a 48-hour thing. It could be serious. Uh, no idea. He's been pulled out of international duty, so we may need Stefan. There's nothing wrong with Stefan. It's just he's not Edison. So that Southampton game would have been very different. I think Edison could come out and chop an opposition player down quite easily. Yeah, you know, he has that brain yeah, fart. Any, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. And in a way, you could say Stefan was right to not go for that ball. But I think the mistake by Stefan was he was just slow to react in the first place. Once he does react, he's probably right not to try and get the ball. And let's be honest, it's very poor feet from the port to, you know, it still shouldn't have come to anything now and we'd easily have forgotten it. Stefan's problem is he's not Edison and that it would have been a different game with Edison because Southampton's press would be diff- different when you've got someone who can play, who could easily play as an outfield player for City probably because yeah. uh, his distribution's so good. So, But Stefan, yeah, I think as a manager you're obliged to give uh, such a good goal deputy some games. Uh, so... No real way around it. He has to get some playing time. Yeah, I just wonder if one of the other subtle differences as well would be Edison would probably be maybe five yards further forward for a couple of the mm. other balls, so he'd be yeah. he'd be, be a bit more ready for it. I don't know. Um, yeah. I just want to finish this first part of the show, Dan. Uh, by I, I'm, I, we can't help but look at the future with that Liverpool and Atletico run, <laughs> um, and we talked about the rotation. We've talked about uh, keeping players fresh. One worry I have is. The draw, the, the the draw for both the FA Cup and uh, the Champions League, the way that the schedule works out now, with City having to alternate these opposition, they're two very very different styles of play that they're going to come up against. Is that likely going to cause problems? Because the the intensity of the two Liverpool games compared to maybe how much of the ball City have against Atletico could could mean that 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 the game plan in, in two games like so close to each other is really different. Yeah, you would imagine they will have a lot of lot of ball against uh, Atletico at home and Atletico will kind of sit back and try and soak up pressure whereas with Liverpool it's going to be a bit of a a shooting match isn't it really you'd imagine like it's going to, it's going to be similar to that game in in 1819 where it was just an incredibly intense game end to end both teams really going hell for leather. I, I don't know 
whether it's going to affect them too much to have to sort of dif- uh, differentiate between the two styles. Um, that's what Guardiola's paid the big money for to kind of work out a game plan for both of those games. That's what the players are, are, have been bought for to be able to adapt to those situations. So it's not a huge concern of mine. I'm I'm, I'm more um, focused on the the league game personally than, than, the, than the Champions League. I'm sort of hoping that we can maybe just kind of scrape through against Atletico and, and not pick up any injuries and, and, uh, not to tire ourselves out too much and really have everything to go full guns blazing against Liverpool because that's that's the big one for me of those three games. Yeah, Howard, uh, final word for this is, uh, I guess, don't take your eye off the Burnley game. No, that's all I'm thinking about. Well, I'm, <laughs> enjoy, I'm enjoying an international break, even though I was bored by Monday afternoon. Uh, I would, At least we've got a run up to this. I'm only thinking about the Burnley game, really. We need to win that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think since you've needed this international break? No, I don't think it really makes any difference. You don't know what you really don't know what you're walking back into. Liverpool as well, or everyone else after the international break. As I say, you've got some on holiday, some playing intense games, some playing friendlies. Who knows? Uh, I mean, who knows? They won four one at Southampton. I was quite. Well, you know, I wouldn't have minded as a fan actually to have had another game pretty quickly after that game. I think what could work if if Liverpool and Atletico Madrid are two different styles, it at least allows Pep to use his squad. Yeah, because you probably see certain players being more necessary tactically for one game, but not the other one. So it could work in our favour. You know, minimal gains here or marginal gains in that he can use the squad better if you're playing two teams with very different styles. That Burnley game, we're going to be second in the league, aren't we, when we play that? Because Liverpool play Watford, the early kickoff on the Saturday, and they're almost certainly going to win that. So for the first time in months, we're going to be second in the league when we kick off a Premier League game. So it'll be interesting to see whether that has any sort of psychological impact on things. My my head has complete. My head has gone already, Dan. So I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. what what else of my body will have gone by then. You know. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. That- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, Well, we're doing things a little bit differently, as we said, on this week's episode of the podcast. So it's time to say goodbye to this week's panel. So thank you both to Howard Hawking. Yeah, goodbye. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And Dan Burke. Thank you very much. Now, we've not got a game to preview. And then there's the final run-in to come after the international break. Some would say that we're phoning it in this week, but others would say that I've uh, I've had a really ingenious idea to to have a good discussion. Uh, To do that, let's introduce Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. Hi, Neil. Hello there. Uh, now, for this, we're not really concerning ourselves with who is going to win the title at this point. Uh, it'll come as no surprise that I want it to be City. Neil, you want it to be Liverpool. We're not like we're not going over any new ground there, are we? <laughs> Absolutely not. Unless yeah. I was going to, I was going to really left field say Chelsea have still got a shout, and you never know. You're looking at a raffle. Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, but we've both been here before, haven't we? Uh, in recent years, both sets of fans have experience of their team running away with the title, and both have experience of desperately hoping that the other one would drop points week in, week out to make their own lives easier. Um, the interesting thing I want to talk about for this, Neil, is that we always talk about these these being the big moments that we live for, um, and I'm I'm not entirely sure that it's true because I'm all I'm feeling at the moment is just real dread for the end of this season. Like it's really easy to watch your team running away with it, and as everybody else goes, oh, wouldn't we love a great a great close title race? We all go, actually. No, I quite like it when City are running away with the league and that everything's good and rosy and, it, and it's all good fun. Um, because this isn't fun, is it? You see, I oscillate massively on this question because ultimately this is the point where the highs become almost 
unspeakably high. So the example I've got two examples from the eighteen nineteen season where Liverpool don't win the league. Uh, when away at Southampton were dreadful for twenty minutes. Uh, it's one one for a long period of time. We get a fortunate goal back, and then Salah runs the length of the pitch and scores. And it genuinely is one of the most, if not the most, over the top raucous celebrations I've ever been part of. And I remember, yeah. I remember leaving Southampton to get back to London that night when I was staying over, and just having this this real sense of, oh God, what if this is it? What if this actually is the time Liverpool win the league? What if I'll never feel like this again? What if this is the the one? Um, and genuinely sort of having that moment of, you know, there's the sense of a loss or something. And same season, um, yeah. we go to Newcastle, 3-2. Origi scores with four minutes to go. I remember uh, I, I remember that game, funnily enough. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. It's, 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 the, one that, it's the one that we play prior to, to Leicester, yeah. rifling yeah. it in again on, on the Monday night. And I like that... There was a point in that game where Salah went off injured and I looked at all of my friends. We weren't in Newcastle for that one. I looked at all of my friends and like... Two of them were crying uh, when Salah went off injured. One was just sat facing away from the television. Uh, another one was just sort of shaking. I remember thinking, this is unbelievable what we put ourselves through in this scenario. Uh, and then Origi scored. And everyone, again, did the same thing. But that's just got to be like, you know, <laughs> where are the narrative gods on this one? This has got this this time. It's got an... All of that was just unbelievable. But the, there is an element, you know, where this is, when it is toe-to-toe like this, where I find it hardest. I find it hardest working out what it is I'm doing and how I am consuming Manchester City's football matches. Yeah. Because I think the most dispiriting thing you can actually do in football is will for a negative result. Because all moments are fraught when you're willing for a negative result, really. Um, unless it's really going your way, I find it a really quite like almost almost uh, like makes me feel a bit nauseous because any it's, the good thing when you're willing a positive result is that when Liverpool attack, you feel the world of possibility. When you're willing a negative result, like watching Manchester City build up a good passage of play, makes you want to be sick into a bucket, <laughs> and that's, that, that's no way to live. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this this is the thing. I, I was going to ask you: Do you watch City's games or do you avoid it? Because I've I've spent the last, um, say, this side of Christmas um, doing half and half with Liverpool's games. I, like, I try. I, sometimes I really try and catch up with the result later and just blank it out and go. Listen, I am gonna I'm going to avoid the result. I'm going to have a good day and just you know, go with it and see whatever, whatever happens, happens. I can't control it. Um, and then like you played Arsenal recently uh, on, it was, was a Wednesday night, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, because me and my partner were watching a film during your game with Arsenal. Uh, it's a film called Coda. It's about a girl who loves music and is a really talented singer, but her family's deaf and she's the interpreter. It's honestly, I would, I would heartily recommend watching it. Uh, and the only reason is, is because I could barely concentrate on that film, <laughs> and so I had to keep checking the Wikipedia page and the and the um, IMDb page to find out what I'd missed in that game in that film because I was always I've just spent the the, the, the entire evening on Twitter looking at my phone, going, oh, it's still nil nil, it's still nil nil. This this might be. It's still enough. Ah, oh, they've scored. Ah, oh, okay. And then at two 0 I suddenly started concentrating on the film again. So, <laughs> I, 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 so what, what do you do? How do you how do you cope with it? So I I have I have a couple of strategies. So I think there's different moves. Um, I like it when you play Manchester United and Everton. If you could do that more often, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, because because there's no bad outcome. Uh, certainly, current climate where, uh, where where the Blue Brethren are concerned, there is no bad outcome <laughs> whatsoever. Um, I. But in in a more sort of general way, Palace Monday night, I listen, I 
had an eye on what the scoreline was until about the hour mark, and then I chose to listen to it on the radio whilst doing some ironing. That felt like a constructive <laughs> use of time. Like, if the worst that happens at that stage happens, fine. Conor McNamara is a brilliant commentator anyway, and he understands the drama of things. And, and at least if it all goes wrong, I've got some ironing done. I've got some. I've got a pile of ironing. Uh, I quite liked i watched the when you drop points against tottenham i watched that out with some friends we had something to eat we we didn't you know one of those games what days when you watch we all supported liverpool we've all been at liverpool's game earlier in the day but it was one of those ones you know when when you you're not really watching it until you need to watch it yeah so that was actually quite healthy that one um uh, but if i think back to you know when you face chelsea earlier in this season or if i think back to 18 19 again you know some of those fixtures as they were coming then it was, I was fine. Ironically, I was sort of fine with the Leicester one in that it was so close to the end of the season that it was just as, as simple as Liverpool playing, if if that makes sense. Like, it was so binary. The Leicester one was just so, so binary that it didn't really matter. I, I remember a particularly unpleasant time on my own um, watching watching you play Burnley. I didn't enjoy that in the slightest. Oh, don't worry. None of us enjoyed that one either. Um, no, no, exactly. Yeah. But I think that was that was like an example of this is this is what I don't. This is a bad version of this. If you sort of see what I mean, this is the one that you don't want um, through these through these sorts of games. Uh, that was yeah. That was that was that was particularly uh, particularly unpleasant. That one um, because because it wasn't a good game of football, but it was just that example of watching the ball be endlessly around the Burnley box. Uh, but not really being able to have that much skin in the Burnley game on the one hand, and also on the other, it just feeling endlessly fraught. I, yeah, that was that that was a bad one, and there was a couple of others that season. As I say, by the time I got to the Leicester one, it, it's a funny, it's a funny one, and you know, it is so binary when it's that late on. Because the other part of this as well is that obviously you you can I, I can have uh, City do their bit, but or fail to do their bit, but then Liverpool have got to go and do theirs if you know what I mean. Whereas the yeah, Leicester yeah. one did just sort of feel like a final. Yeah, well, well, it was so. Yeah, again, I get, I guess, because it was um, that was leading. That was City's game in hand for the final weekend of the season, wasn't it? So it was like, it, it, whatever happens, happens from here on in. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer: StatCity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero, or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Looking at this run in, I know I know we play each other a couple of times now in the next few weeks. Um, but after that, like it, it's I, I don't want to say it all comes down to that game at the Etihad because there's so many opportunities after that for things to change. And I'm kind of what I'm a little bit scared of is having another run in like like 1819 because I'm I can't explain what it did to me. I can't explain the uh, just the, the entire tension that I felt throughout that that running, and then when you look at, at the end of it, and you go, "Yeah, great, fantastic, you won the title." That's that should be that 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 should be an exhilarating high, and it was the day of the day of beating Brighton. I was outside the Etihad with uh, Richard Burns, who's often on the podcast as well, and we celebrated like God knows what. But then 
there was the, the the kind of exhaustion that came from all the tension of the weeks before. And I sit there and I think, well, actually, you know, 2018 was a great title. 20, like, like last season yeah. was a great title. It was, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't get that much better by having it be so close. Well, or does it? Well, you say that because Liverpool in 2019-20 win their first title in 30 years, and what that means is, in practice, in my adult Liverpool haven't won a title race. They've won the title, but they haven't won a title race. Yeah. And eighteen nineteen, they can't do any more. Like they win every game. For but a, but you know, you, yeah, you don't care about that, though, do you? Surely. That they've never won a t- they've never won a title race. Yeah. Um, I'd quite like one. Uh, this year, this year would be great. But I'm not. I'd rather listen. I'd rather win it. You know, I'd rather have a situation now where, for instance, we were as far clear at this stage as we were in nineteen twenty, and we were able to focus as well on the other trophies because it wouldn't be as though there weren't wonderful nights to look forward to, full of tension and all of that sort of stuff. So I'd rather have it that way right now. Trust me, don't get me wrong. But in all seriousness, you know, I, I if you're asking me, would I rather 1920 was the way it was or a title race? I'd rather it was the way it was. Yeah. But yeah, the one thing I would say is that we've literally, you know, and it's something to to sort to. And I, 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 if we, I'd I'd be interested in a conversation around the idea of well, maybe it's because Liverpool have thrown certain things away. If it wasn't for the fact that in in 1819 we don't, <laughs> you know, we win every game. We just win and keep winning, and we sort of take that into into 2019-20. And it's part of why there isn't a title race is that Liverpool almost kick kicked off 2019-20 as though it was April. Yeah, <laughs> and, and trust me, that was that was emotionally exhaust exhausting. Uh, you know, by the time I got to Christmas in that one, we beat Leicester on Boxing Day, and you lost to Wolves the next night, and that was that felt like it was pretty much done. And I remember just sort of going to bed that night feeling like feeling like I'd done the Krypton Factor. Um, even though you know, I, I, one I hadn't played, and two obviously Liverpool hadn't even played. <laughs> but thinking, oh, this must be, that must just be done now. Um, but I think you know, as I say, it's it's, it's an interesting thing to observe. I've, I've arguably watched Liverpool be in. I'm trying to think really in four things that I would genuinely call title races. Um, there's 2002 uh, when Arsenal win it in the end. There's 0809 when United win it in the end. There's 1314 when City win it. And there's eighteen nineteen when City win it, um, and I would say that you know in my adult years, their times when Liverpool genuinely had a had a really good chance of winning a title. Eighteen nineteen, they're perfect. In other in other seasons, they drop points and those those ones twist and turn a little bit more. But they were they were the title races that we've had, and and, and as I say, we haven't won any of them. So yeah. I would I'd quite like to you know have that moment of winning one. I. I don't know if this will, you know, the, it's very easy to me imagine for me to imagine a state of affairs here where Liverpool and Manchester City win every league game between now and the end of the season and they draw with one another at the Etihad and City win the title. And that's not me doing a crying it in or doing a predictor thing. It's just that there's a thing that happens at this stage of a season where how much, how much it means to other teams at certain phases begins to diminish. And then when you're talking about the best teams, which Liverpool and Manchester City aren't just the best teams in England, they're the you know they're, they're, they're arguably and will I think be proven to be two of the best three teams in Europe between now and the end of the campaign. Then you end up then having a situation where those teams should win, and when the other team has less and less teams have less and less to play for as you get closer and closer to the end of the season, that should combined with that sheer desire and need, I think now leads to. It games. Runs, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You just end up, you just end up finding a way because you need to, and they don't, and you're better equipped to. Yeah. Um. On eighteen nineteen. Um. Oh, I mean, that season, winning it by such a fine margin, from my point of view, hasn't really helped me for preparing <laughs> for this season. Um. 
I, you would think that it'd be very easy for me to sit here and say, look, we've been, we've been here before. We've done it all before. We've done it against Liverpool before. It's like they're, they're a really good team that we kind of kept at arm's length and then kept at fingernails length for the final few weeks of the season. Like it should be fine. You should be ready, equipped to deal with it. And the truth is, I'm I'm just not. I'm just I I'm just not ready for the stress that that's it. Like I still look back at that season and think, yeah, it was a great title, but God, it was stressful. And I, think, I don't know. Like, does missing out on it this time increase the desire for you to go and like 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 to relive it and relive it with a positive ending instead? I think to, I obviously want to relive it and relive it with a positive ending. But actually, I think it's been where. I think it's I think it's a little harder from a Manchester City point of view for a number of reasons than from a Liverpool point of view. Um, this this one, and I think that that was also possibly a little true of the eighteen nineteen one as well. I so to your listeners, I want to be really really clear about this. I think still think City didn't get the the, the credit they deserved for the eighteen nineteen um, title win, and I think there's loads of reasons for that. Um, and I think one of those reasons is the conversation around ownership, the conversations around sports washing. Yeah. But I think another one of those conversations is obviously if you take those elements out, there's also simply the the amount of money that that has just been spent on the city side, and there's also the the notion that Pep Guardiola is the coach. So City, I think, in a way in which at times the aesthetic beauty of Liverpool's football is underrated or under-discussed in comparison to cities, especially back then, but I still think that it's a little bit the case now. Similarly, when when Manchester City show unbelievable levels of character and togetherness and heart, as they do in 1819, which starts on the 2nd of January, I hasten to add, when City put one of the bravest football performances I've ever seen on at the Etihad, I think all of that is the bit that no one wants to talk about. No one wants to talk about City's character. No one wants to because it's almost like that. That's not the, the, the like Guardiola. The football should transcend all of that, and I think that that leads it to be a little bit unfair. And I think the other thing is because everyone knows about the money, the budget, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there is this idea: well, City should just be there or thereabouts anyway. Yeah. So the, a, the, the thing I always say in response to that is um, Guardiola's got no more, no bigger budget than uh, Pellegrini and Mancini had, and look at the difference between what they've achieved and what he's achieved. That, but also, you know, in terms of listen, you know, and there's there's a funny thing here where ultimately this season, when the when the money comes in, because we're always a year behind, a year and a bit behind, City will City's wage budget will be a little bit bigger than Liverpool's, but only be a little bit. And then the question is whether or not you're getting your value for money out of your wage budgets. And I'd say that City are, and I'd say that Liverpool are. And Liverpool's wage budget this year might be higher than Manchester United's, but the reason for that is that Manchester United are not going to have to pay out any bonuses. Yeah, and Liverpool are. Uh, because Liverpool are getting value for money out of their wage bill. And my point about this is if we if we argue that the wages are the, def- the defining factor and we simultaneously argue that Liverpool get value for money out of their wage bill, then where we end up is that Liverpool should also be there or thereabouts along with Manchester City because we think that City are getting value for money out of their wage bill. Now, there's a wider sort of transfer conversation there, but you can throw a blanket over the amount of wages that Liverpool and Manchester City both pay in, in reasonable terms. And I think that that's worth bearing in mind and Liverpool should be held to the idea that they should be here where they are now, broadly, um, up against any side. But as part of all of this, this is where, where I think the Liverpool are fortunate in a sense of, I think I think there is, in part of how Liverpool are discussed and in part of what Liverpool are doing against this behemoth of a City side with one of, if not the greatest coaches who've ever, who've ever coached a football team, you know, Liverpool, Liverpool are able to maybe, just maybe, talk a little bit more about being on the journey 
and having the journey lead somewhere than City are allowed to. I think that like the the, the, the journey sort of gets to go without saying for Pep Guardiola. And I don't think that's entirely fair at times because yeah. he's still getting them to put these performances in and he's still getting them to show that togetherness and that quality. And you can talk all you want about how that's happened, but the flip side is the players themselves, the coach and his coaching staff have still got to do it. <laughs> like, There's a great example that's just down the road from us and just uh, across the city from you of where the, there has been money and there's lots of people who haven't done it, either in yeah. coaching staffs or on the pitch, and haven't even gotten near to doing it. You know, and this is where I think that that's where, in the eighteen nineteen, but also I just think in general, that City do manage to still set the bar where they set it for whatever reason they're able to do that, that they are doing it, I think is worthy of a little bit more respect. And I think it would help you, perhaps personally, or perhaps the body politic of Manchester City supporters, enjoy it a little bit more if people were saying, <laughs> God, City have done brilliantly to be leading this league at this stage of the season against that Liverpool team. Have you seen how good they are? And that's always frame the other way around. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, that that makes it a little bit harder to be able to do the thing where you look at each other and go, we're having a great journey. But um, does does I mean does chasing rather than being chased does that make it easier to enjoy? Because because I, I the only thing I think of is City were chasing in eighteen nineteen up until about mid February. I think your I think it was your game at um, Everton, wasn't it? That, yeah, uh, that that finally swapped it round. Uh, and I remember thinking at, at various stages through kind of that. But I actually remember thinking over Christmas when we lost three games in four, I thought they they chucked it away and that was it. It was they, they were never going to catch up. And then I remember thinking after after they played Liverpool at the Etihad, okay, this I, I, I'm I'm kind of dealing with this now, and this is this this is starting to become enjoyable. They they all the other competitions start coming back. The Champions League comes back. The, you know the uh, the League Cup final is around that time. I'm starting to feel like I'm enjoying this again. And as soon as City went ahead, I'm then thinking, oh God, I I hope Liverpool drop off a bit more and stop putting the pressure on us. And... So I'm just wondering if, if if being the chasers is the is the more enjoyable element of it. And it, it might not be what the coaches want because obviously at that point your destiny is not in your own hands. But yeah. from a fan's point of view, maybe maybe that's easier. I don't know. I think I think that there could be something in that, but I think that's because, and I think that the, I don't think this is a modern thing either. I don't think this is just an online thing. Um, I just don't, I don't think anyone wants to ever feel as though we threw it away. I, yeah. I don't like I mean, the phrase. I, I am also permanently online. That might not help me. <laughs> no, I think it might not help you. But I, but I think that that will have been the case anyway. I think what doesn't help from a permanently online point of view, and this is where you know both of these sides are lucky to have the coaches that they have and to be continuing to have the coaches that they have. I think I think we occasionally could just sort of do with remembering is in August we all start back at zero. Yeah, and you know when we're talking about a league, when we're talking about a league here in this instance, we all get to start again at zero in August. So whatever happens, and I think that this is a difficult, it's a difficult thing to sort of to take on board, but it will reset. It does not just continue. Yeah, I think what Liverpool do in twenty nineteen twenty is actually the closest it's ever got to just continuing. The idea that well, we're just going to act like we're continually in a running until we win the thing was was a mad thing to do. But Liverpool do manage to do it. But most football seasons and most football teams, and by most I mean literally almost the absolute majority, the absolute total of them, not the majority, the total of them, is that you know it does reset, it does restart, and I think that that's that's on the horizon and that's all right. I yeah. think the. I think the idea, it's the idea that you don't want to feel as though you blew it. Yeah, I, I, I get that. 
I do get that because the more I think about this running for this season and the the the, the way it's going, I I think from my part, I, like, I I I'll be disappointed if City don't win the title. Don't get me wrong, but I think if City finish a couple of points off Liverpool and Liverpool win the league by maybe by maybe winning all the games except for that Etihad one where they draw, and then City do exactly the same except one other game they draw or one other game they lose, like you can kind of go well, all right, that's that's acceptable. You understand that. I think what I'm scared of most is maybe dropping points in three games, four games, and suddenly Liverpool winning the title with ten points as an advantage because at this stage in the season now, you know, the end of March, start of April. There's, I mean, there's what ten games left for both of the sides. Nine games left. That it feels like like the the margin for error is so tiny now, and I I wonder if that's what scares me most. Perhaps, but then the flip side of that is, I'd say, but you could do that, and you could still win the the European Cup. I think yeah. I I think it's all about for me right now. You know, being really honest, we're, we're, we've got one in the bag, and we could get three more. But if you'd offer me the possibility of getting three more, but a guarantee on either of the big two, and by the way, you didn't tell me which of the two it was, but I was definitely getting one of them. I'd be absolutely delighted. Yeah, uh, not I mean, just you, would find, you would find that out as soon as the Premier League season has ended, wouldn't you? So. <laughs> you would, yeah. You know that day, but you know the idea of just for me, that's the you know it's a it's an unbelievable era for both clubs, uh, especially sort of you know obviously defining of manchester city the whole era but you know from a liverpool point of view it's it's been so long since a title and it's also been so long since you know we we could finish second to city this season win the champions league and genuinely feel as i felt in 1819 like if we're not in the, if we're not the best team in europe we're in the top 2 yeah and that's sort of where i am with this i think you know if 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 we were to push pretty close until the end of the season but let's say we drop points uh, we drop points around the champ in two games. We we draw at the Etihad and we drop points in two games around the Champions League semi final. But we go through in that semi final, we win the final, and we end up looking at the table and we're five points behind Manchester City. I'll feel as though well they might be the best team in, in the world or we might be the best team in the world. But you know we've we, we've got that trophy and they got that one and vice versa. You know if 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 we were to you know if we were to if we'd won if we'd done a domestic treble even and then we were facing Manchester City in the in the Champions League final and Manchester City turn up and they put a show on and they win the game 2-0 3-1 you know I wouldn't be going oh well we're better than you because we've proven it because we won that league by 5 points and also I don't really genuinely think that even that elite unbelievably driven professional footballers would feel like that either in yeah. either direction I think they'd think my god they're one hell of a team and I think that that's uh, I, I wonder think, if that's what's missing, you know, between uh, between fans and, and and players. Because you you think of you think of uh, uh, this week when when the draw was done for the FA Cup, and it was clear that uh, after you'd beaten Forest, that it was going to be uh, a run for City of Atletico Liverpool, Atletico Liverpool. There's some somebody said to me, "There's all the fans are going, God, that's a really really tough run." But equally, the players will look at that, and first off, they'll relish those games because they like the big games and they like playing in the in the big occasions. And second off, like the Liverpool players will be just as worried about those City games as the City players are about Liverpool uh, about the Liverpool games. So, I, I wonder if if that kind of respect of um, knowing that you're up against a good side and hey, it might go right, but it might go wrong as well, and that's the game we play. That kind of I wonder if that's missing from the fans. I think it is a little bit because everything. This is back to my thing about the fact that we do all start again with with same managers and 
you know, ninety percent the same players in in August. They they know that they're going to start again. They know what they know what's on the line for them professionally and, and in terms of the medals and in terms of the idea of what it is after the fact. And and, and I'm not saying that the the game at the Etihad is going to be played between two sets of schoolboys. You know, it's going to be an aspect of it will be blood and thunder. There'll be a lot of getting into the referees' ear and all that sort of stuff. But I think. Like I think there's there's an understanding. For instance, I don't I don't think Ilkay Gundogan is knocking around thinking Thiago Alcantara is overrated. Do you yeah. know what I, mean? I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's happening. You've heard the way Jurgen Klopp talks about Ilkay Gundogan, and it's 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 as though he's he's talking about his son. For God's sake, you know I I don't think that I don't think that you know I don't think that the the, the one upmanship is as simple as knowing after the fact when you beat them they could have beat you. Yeah. And I think that that's something which I think that fans could do a little bit better. But I think a lot of that's down to the fact that we sort of culturally, I think, almost don't play enough games now. And that's not just the idea of you've got to have been a footy player or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is more. So t- this evening, I'm going to play um, I'm gonna play snooker with my friend Steve this evening. And he's pretty much as good as I am. And so it's just going to come down to a few moments and there's a bit of game theory involved. And neither of us are very good. Like the best break that either of us will put in will be about 20. But we're, we're both trying to get better. But what we understand is that we're playing a game and there'll be a winner of that game and there'll be a loser of that game. And if we can't, you know, be friendly to a degree afterwards, then then what's the point? I I think obviously that's not nowhere near the same as A, elite sport and also B, the tribal elements of football. But I think part of this is we will play Manchester City twice in a week and we might win one and lose one. And I know which one I'd rather win, but we might win one and lose one. Yeah. And... The, the players could be could be exactly the same or very nearly exactly the same. Passages of play will will have similarities between them, but sometimes the ball will bounce one way and sometimes the ball will bounce another. And th- those two games, one of them can be drawn, but the other one has to have a victor. It has to have an outcome. And I think that the the other thing that footballers know and that people who play games know, which I think at times people who just watch struggle with, is sometimes games can get away from you. So last season when Liverpool. One of the reasons why Liverpool are where they are this season is because Alison Becker goes forward for a header against West Brom to win the game, wins the header and it goes into the corner. That could have just flashed wide. Alternatively, it could have gone into the keeper's gloves. West Brom could have gone up the other end and scored as Liverpool are all trying to scurry back. And I think if you if you are in the game and you are in games, you understand that sometimes circumstances or games can sweep you along with them and you do things you wouldn't necessarily do. And that's what I mean when I talk about the great reset, that it all gets to start again. And you can maybe think, well, next time when that happens, we won't do that or we will do that, but we'll do it this way. Yeah. And I think that if you're outside yeah. of that, and you're just a spectator, you're left with the aftermath of it a little bit. And then that's when people begin to get really cross and really angry and feel like, you know, there was this, that, or the other. Whereas I think if you're a participant, you're almost able to say afterwards, oh, you, w- you wouldn't have done that in a normal circumstance, <laughs> would you? And, and I think that that helps. And that's... I think that that's why they're different. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That's, yeah, that's, I think that's spot on because I was speaking, uh, it's no secret to listeners that we're doing a, a series of, of special things to mark the 10th anniversary of the Aguero goal in, in May. 
Um, and I was speaking to Nader Manua about uh, being on the QPR end of that uh, of that goal. And one of the things he was saying was that, that that final day of the season in 2012 was not a normal City performance because yeah. as the clock was ticking down, they were losing the game. They start making decisions that they don't make in, in normal games because they are desperate to change the outcome of the game. And you end up with company and Lescott shooting from range instead of doing what they normally do and passing it through the lines and, and all that sort of stuff. Um and I, I think I think it, it, it's right. And let me also say on on the Allison header, I was so annoyed when that went in. So <laughs> so annoyed because I've I, there's twice in my life I've been in the stadium when a city keeper has gone up for a corner um, and nearly scored. Joe Hart nearly scored against Sporting in uh, 2012, and if he'd have scored, we'd have gone through on on um, on the night. Uh, and Costel Pantillamon went up for a header against United in 2012 again. Uh, in uh, the FA Cup third round. They were, they were 3-0 up. Uh, we'd had company sent off after about five minutes. Uh, they went 3-0 up. We pulled it back to 3-2 and Pantillamon went up for a corner, won the header and flashed it wide. And on, on the, the, the Joe Hart one was touched wide by Rui Patricio. And I'm thinking, one of these days I'm going to get to see a City keeper go up and score a header. And I can't <laughs> tell you that... I, I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen a Liverpool goalkeeper go up apart from that one time. And he goes up and bloody well scores and it really, really annoyed me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's that's very allowed. I think just on this one, you know, there's. I think on this season, the way in which it's going to end, I think I think it is important that people do try and enjoy it. It's worth all of us because I think as humans, this isn't again, and this is not a social media thing at all. And I, I, you know, I think these days you feel as though you've got to, you've got to sort of caveat your points, which is about wider behaviour versus the behaviour that people see online. But as humans, I think we're really quick to forget, and I think one of the things that we've been really quick to forget actually is is for 12 months we weren't allowed to watch any football. We weren't allowed to go into the grounds. Yeah. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I've got one for the Etihad. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to relishing it. And I'm looking forward to the fact that genuinely, when I talk about that game at the start of uh, 2019, I think it's, you know, I think it's probably the best game of football I've ever seen. Um, just because Liverpool don't win it. You know, the, the quality that was on show. I think it's the best game of football I've ever seen. And I think that we need to, where we can, you know, I think it's important to try to just enjoy every last minute of this. I know there's, that sometimes in the past it doesn't happen as much now, and I'm, I'm glad, but also I, I didn't care that much anyway. Some, some Manchester City supporters used to like to lampoon some of my post-match writing, um, and that's perfectly legitimate. If you put stuff out there, that's going to happen. But part of what I try to write about in terms of, because everyone can watch the match all over the world, you, you is what matches what games of football feel like yeah. and i think that we we have to hang on to that it's an important part that for a period of time we didn't get to feel games of football in quite the same way we had the unpleasant experience of having to watch even our own team uh, when we were absolutely on our own and or in small groups and now we, we we get to go back into stadia and in amongst all of that we've sort of forgotten that that was a problem <laughs> really quite quickly we've got over it really quite quickly so i think anyone who is listening to this on the manchester city side genuinely just enjoy every minute of this this is this is brilliant well can and i get, can, can i be honest on. with you and what I, I i think what i'm what i'm really scared of is um what happened to Liverpool in 2019 happening to City this season? And the reason is, I listened to you interviewed on uh, another podcast uh, not so long ago. I think you did the interview years ago, so I honestly don't, if you if you don't remember don't it, it's absolutely fine. Um, but it was a podcast called Inside the Beautiful Game. And uh, one thing you were talking about was something that I realised was true of me. 
And as more, as you said, about playing your mate Steve at snooker as well, I'm wondering if I am just the Manchester City version of you. Um, <laughs> my highest break, by the way, is 28, but I didn't put a black ball in that in that entire break, so I was really <laughs> pleased with that. Um, but like the one thing you said was that making podcasts and doing the writing stuff used to be a hobby, and now it's your job. And whenever I meet anybody and whenever I talk about you know things what I what I do in my life it suddenly occurs to me that actually supporting City is like I'm almost a professional City fan I like I that's kind of what I do I make podcasts about City and what do you do outside of that well I'll play a few video games here and there and I you know I'm not great at snooker and I'll I'll have a go at it but aside from that I generally watch City and generally talk about City and if City lose the title on in this running I'm gonna have to have that conversation with pretty much everybody that I know because that's all that they know that I talk about and that's all that they know that I do. And and like it, it suddenly makes me, the feeling of, of, of watching that game at the Etihad makes me want to crawl under a rock because if City don't get it right, then I might have to have that conversation with all these people. You will, but what I would say is you'll be proud of them. And that's the, you know, because the, the, the level that we're at here, this is not, you know, I, I mean, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe Chelsea will come back into contention. <laughs> but this is can not... You, can you imagine after we've done this now? <laughs> I know. This is not some sort of title race where it's going to be decided on 79 points and so there's going to be twists and turns and there'll be the dropping of points. But even then, I mean, you know, you, we, those, those teams were teams to be proud of. Don't get me wrong. But the point being is, I think we've got to hold on to this idea that, you know, f- for me anyway what they've done a lot since January has been genuinely excellent under quite odd circumstances and with one hell of a lot of games. You know, they've, they've not just won that one trophy, but they've, they've dragged themselves back into this. And my position after the Arsenal game uh, midweek in the driving rain was, that's it now. Like, they're in a state of grace. And I think that this is, we need to let our footballers exist in a state of grace, especially when you support Liverpool and Manchester City and these are the best ones you've ever seen. They exist in a state of grace. So when, you know, if it does go wrong, if Liverpool do manage to claw something out of the Etihad and, and go on and win it by two points or four points, then first and foremost, Manchester City have got other trophies they can win. But also these players, these are players who've got 100 points in the league, 100 points, 99 points, uh, or not, sorry, 98 points. You know, these, these, these are still the best ones. And, you know, the manager is still the best one um, or one of the best two, you know, from, from, from our point of view. You're not swapping them. And I think that that's the... Listen, we can we can be Manchester United, and what I mean by that is we could be pushing for fourth, and maybe if we're lucky, getting a cup run, and that's possibly more enjoyable and conducive around talking about it or talking about it with your mates or having nights out or something like that. Or you can want to be the best ones, but if you want to be the best ones, then you've got to let the best ones exist in the state of grace. So if yeah. we go to the Etihad and Virgil Van Dijk makes a mistake that leads to Manchester City winning the game one nil, I've got two options. It's either I get unbelievably angry with Virgil van Dijk and never forgive him, or I go, my God, I think you're an absolutely incredible footballer. I'm person, by the way. These things happen. We've got to shrug our shoulders and move on. Yeah. And you've got to, I think we've got to try and let them exist in that state of grace when they're this good. Genuinely, at the minute, I am horrified in one sense and obviously hugely entertained in another with how dreadfully run Everton Football Club have been for five years <laughs> and how much how staggering it is actually when you realise how much Evertonians despise their own football team. None of them exist in a state of grace, but also none of them deserve to. Literally none of them. Not one of them deserves to. Funny that. Com- so, substitute that for Manchester United and I'm in exactly the same page. Exactly. <laughs> so, so so what I would say to you is look forward to that thing at the Etihad and if it goes the way it goes and then it all goes badly wrong. I think the hobbies thing's interesting and I think you and I could probably talk about this at length because you know everything I do here at the Anfield Wrap, I've, I've, you know, part of the reason for the snooker is actually trying to have something else to 
think about and distract yeah. me with. Uh, I'm trying to think of another couple of things like that at the minute because it is a valid point. But again, you've picked one hell of a moment to do this. Whilst there's a party that's probably thinking, no, I'd have had more fun when it was Uwe Rosler. The, the truth of the matter is I was doing this in 2011-12 when it was clear Dalglish had to be sacked. And it wasn't nice because yeah. you were going to football matches and Kenny, who was a club legend, had to go. Uh, and you're trying to have that argument and it is an argument and it's quite a, it's quite a, an unpleasant argument. And I've done the unpleasant arguments and I'd rather just have the absolutely brilliant football team. Thank you very much. And I'd rather be trying to win everything. And that bit's the better bit, as long as we can accept that they probably can't win everything. They certainly can't win every game. And that when one or two of them make mistakes, the thing that you don't do is, unless those mistakes become permanent and become problematic and become something to, you know, that does need change, what you realize is that these are the best ones. It doesn't get better than this, and it possibly never has. Yeah. Are you just finally then? Are you feeling any pressure with uh, quadruple talk? Because I've I've never liked it when City have been in this stage of the season and they've been in all the competitions and that's the talk. Because uh, I also realised this weekend that with normally at this point City have won the League Cup, um, which it, at this point you've got the League Cup, so you, you don't have that sort of pressure at the end of the season because there's a not there's not a danger you're finishing this season with no trophies. But I I would also kind of accept that if you say from this position, if you only finish with the League Cup, it does feel a bit like a disappointment appointment because that's where that's where City were in, in recent years but equally there, for me there's a real possibility that City go through the end of the uh, of the season and end up you know, playing really well but coming away with nothing I think yeah I I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily the end of the world for City if that happens for a variety of reasons uh, as part of the the wider overall project I think there's, there's actually nothing wrong with a little bit a teeny bit of vulnerability being dropped in because what it actually means is that the journey to the next time invulnerability is shown is no bad thing and everyone can get back on with that but that's very easy for me to say sat here right now uh with the situation being the way in which it is um i'm of the listen no one's ever done a quadruple um there's reasons for that it's really really hard as i said before i take one of the big two the longer we keep it all alive and it can all finish in one afternoon in mid-april against manchester city uh it can possibly finish in two afternoons in mid-april against manchester city you know but the longer it all stays alive for, the more it'll feel like it's there. I think it's a funny thing. You know, Phil Neal um, is Liverpool. I think he's Liverpool's most decorated ever player. He's got something like nine championship medals and three or possibly four. No, he's got four European Cup winners medals. Yeah. City, um, City legend as well, you know. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep, did a bit, finished his career there. And there's a little thing where ultimately not least because of the existence of Manchester City in the current form, Trent Alexander-Arnold will probably never quite get the medal haul that Phil Neal's got, but both in terms of what people who saw both play and also the realities of football, you know, what, what Trent, not to talk Phil Neal down, but Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is, is a phenomenal footballer who just also happens to play right back uh, rather than Phil Neal, who was just a bit more of a right back, if we're all honest about it. Um, and as I say, I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody there, but that, that's the way it is. The truth, though, is the one thing I do think is that, therefore, in order to be the opportunity that these players have from a Liverpool point of view, if they could could take that quadruple question all the way, is it does bestow upon them an, an argument-ending level of greatness. Yeah. Um, there will be, you know, for instance, I'm sure if I was to go on Radio Merseyside and try to talk through my, my Liverpool 
all-time 11 from stuff that you've read, clips that you've seen, and then the players you've got to view in person. There'll be people who say, yeah, but, um, you know, effectively, but Steve Highway won this many trophies. How many's Mohamed Salah won? Yeah. And I think an answer that these footballers could sort of do with having uh, as an example, would be well, what if what if they won all four of them in one year? <laughs> and that'd be quite nice. Whereas I don't think that's the same sort of onus on, on, on Manchester City. Like I think the idea of genuinely, there's a really weird thing that happens after we win in Madrid. Uh, not weird. It, it makes complete sense when I explain it to you. But we win in Madrid, and James Milner final whistle goes. The players celebrate together, and the first player to run to the Liverpool supporters was James Milner, and he held up six fingers. And I remember because it was six European Cups, and I remember just being really surprised because I hadn't once thought about six European Cups. I thought about one for these lads because they'd just gone through trying to win the league against that Manchester City team. They hadn't won a major trophy. And I was just focused on one. I just wanted these footballers to win one because yeah. how, how proud of them I was. And I think when you are at Liverpool, Liverpool have won 44 trophies that don't include a Club World Cup, a Super Cup or a Charity Shield. So 44 of the trophies that, that, that in inverted commas very much do count. So in order to be sort of in that clambering list of greatness of the the weight of the Liverpoolian shirt. I think the idea of if they could do four all in one year, that'd be great. But genuinely, I mean, you know, just if they win, they win a league or a European Cup this season. We've been going since 1892. We've won a lot, a lot, a lot of leagues, but it's only 19 of them. And 1892 was ages ago. We've been playing European football since the early 60s. We've won six European Cups. If we could make it seven, that'd be absolutely incredible. And I think that that's, again, back to the idea that we've got to, we've got to not drive ourselves mad in amongst all of this, we've got to absolutely relish every single minute of it where it's possible, but also just sort of accept that ultimately at the end of it. And this is the bit that when people, certainly people who aren't me, really irritate people is when I say this, it remains still for all of its things that it's got going on, for all the ways in which it's big business and there's controversy around it in a global geopolitical sense, it is still a game. <laughs> oh, God. I wish, yeah. Yeah, I wish I could just accept that for ahead of the fact. After the fact, I'm very happy. I'm very, I'm very quickly able to get to that point. But ahead of the fact, I am so not up for it. I don't, I don't really don't understand. Uh, Neil, thank you very much. Um, I, I was going to say, uh, I hope everybody listened to it. It's made them relax, but I, it's not made me relax. Anymore. Um, so I don't know if it, I don't know if it's done the job for them. But if you can uh, enjoy the next few weeks, uh, and and you know, I'll, I, I promise I'll try the to best do the same. Ones. You're watching yeah. the best. The best thing is, you know, City, you've got. Atletico, so many really good players, plus all the Manchester City ones. Then you get three, you'll have Chelsea or Real Madrid. So many good players, plus the Manchester City ones. You're playing Liverpool twice. We're really good. You're really good. You're watching the best ones. These are the best ones. Yeah. Just, I, I was going to say, but it's not uh, It's not facing Macclesfield and York, but I think both of them beat City in that 98 uh, <laughs> 99 season. So, uh, the, yeah, there we go. Uh, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for trying no to put my uh, my mind at ease. And that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places, but especially on Apple Podcasts if you can. If you'd like some more stuff to listen to over the international break, then why not give our Patreon a go? There's two thirds of a season's worth of bonus shows on there now, plus all of last season's played for both episodes. Episodes. This year we've been doing some new formats too, including City Heaven, City Hell, where me and a City fan and an opposition fan reflect on four meetings between the two sides. But this week's bonus episode was Andrew Detmer from the Main Road Ramble picking out his games that made me think Desert Island Discs, but for City games. Here's a short clip. So this was uh, my, my first uh, City match, and um, you know I, I made the joke to David when I was selecting these that. At this point, I was like, man, this match going stuff's uh, pretty easy because uh, <laughs> I had literally just sat down um, maybe 
five seconds before uh, Jesus Navas just, you know, buries it. Um, and then the rest of the match was basically one uh, one giant party. Yeah. Um, City had not had a, a great start to the season. Um, it kind of had just been up or down. There had obviously been, you know, I think, you know, Aguero had had scored had scored a decent amount of goals, and there were there were signs that there was something there, but it certainly wasn't. I feel like going into that match, I wasn't like, oh, City are going to easily win this match, or even I, I don't think I even thought like, oh yeah, I expect City to put on a good performance. I was kind of thinking, uh, you know, it's a it's a big match to go see for my first one. Uh, but Spurs are a good side, so who knows what happens. Um, and I, I certainly don't think I was thinking, yeah, City have a real shot at the title this season. Yeah, my, my other memory, and I, I can't explain why I can remember this, but I, I, I've got I, I've got this this vivid image of uh, Spurs of the Spurs defender, Eunice Kabul, being sick <laughs> in the centre circle. That that was this. I don't know if you remember that. It was because the only the only reason I remember is because he took on a lot of energy drink, and it was bright. It, like, his vomit was bright green. I like, why I, I know that, I don't know. I had completely forgotten that until you just said it, and now <laughs> I can I can vividly see it. And you're right, like that that almost neon green, which um, had he not taken on sports drink, probably would have been a sign of something far more <laughs> problematic. <laughs> that was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. If you'd like to hear the full thing, it's online now. Just sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. As an added extra, you'll also get these podcasts every Thursday night or Friday morning without the adverts as well. I'll be back next week to preview the game with Burnley and the first leg with Atletico Madrid. So I'll see you then. Thank you.